Wow. Season three. Welcome in to Please Bear With Me. My name is Scotty Swingler, and I just want, before we kick off episode one of season three, before we get this thing going, I just wanted to say a huge thank you. Last year, when we transitioned from season one to season two, we went from having about 60 unique listeners per episode to over 500. And that's just unbelievable to me. And when I started this, I did not think uh, that's where this was going to go. And so I wanted to say thank you for the kind words, for listening, and I hope we have a great season three. I want to remind you before we get started that this podcast all season is brought to you by Bears Illustrated. If you have not checked out the solid content at bearsillustrated.com, I would encourage you to do so. I will be writing some pieces for them this fall, as well as all the other guys that are involved over there, and I just want to encourage you to check that out. And uh, I also wanted to remind you that this is a podcast that is catered for you, the listener. If there's something you like, I want to know. If there's something you don't like, I want to know. If you have an idea for someone who needs to be on the podcast, a guest we could have on for an interview, if you yourself want to get in on the banter and maybe interact with me a little bit on the podcast, I want to know. You can reach out to us anytime on Twitter at bear underscore podcast or on Facebook at please bear with me. Here we go. Season three. Can't wait. Let's do this. And here we go. Welcome into season three, episode one of Please Bear With Me, your go-to Baylor football podcast. My name is Scotty Swingler, and it's so good to be talking to you once again about all things Baylor football for Bears Illustrated this season on Please Bear With Me. Quick life update. I'm out of school. Thank goodness. Seven years of the last eight I have spent at Baylor, both as an undergraduate student and as a student at Truett seminary. We're done with that. Living now in El Campo, Texas, doing some youth ministry down there. Freaking love it. It's great. I'm sitting here right now recording this in Houston, Texas with my buddy Martin. Martin is going to serve as my producer this season, so he'll have occasional comments, but mostly he's just making sure I sound good and don't screw anything up too bad. Martin, say hello. Hello there. My name is Martin, longtime friend of Scotty's, uh, Baylor Bear, class of 2015. Sick and Bears. That's right. Thanks, man. So we're going to be coming to you this season with uh, hopefully something a little bit different, hopefully a lot of the same. Again, I want to remind you, if you like something, don't like something, whatever, it's your job to let me know because this is catered for you. So here's how episode one, this preseason episode is going to work. I've got three top five lists. Martin, you can't have a podcast without top five lists. Top five lists are important. That's right, especially when you're covering football or sports in general. And so we've got three top five lists, and they're going to be scattered throughout the episode. We've got a game-by-game preview of the Baylor 2019 season. I'm going to go game-by-game, tell you what I expect out of the Baylor Bears and their opponents, and in the end, what I expect our record to look like when we get to the end of the season. And we've got an interview with former Baylor defensive tackle 
Nicholas Jean-Baptiste. If you'll remember, he played early on in the Brile years. He was a great defensive tackle, all Big 12 player his senior year, spent a little bit of time in the NFL, now coaching at Navarro Junior College, and uh, actually spent some time as a GA for the Baylor football program just a couple of seasons ago. So we'll talk to Nick about his experiences and kind of what he expects out of Baylor this coming season. So let's do this without further ado. We've got our first top five list, and this is your top five storylines going in to 2019. Number five, you've got this idea that is pretty widely accepted across the country that Baylor is a dark horse contender for the Big 12 title this year. Unbelievable. If you had told me two years ago after Matt Rule's first season when we only managed to squeeze out one win that it would just take two to three years for us to be in the conversation as a Big 12 dark horse, I would tell you you were nuts, but that's exactly what's happening. I thought I was drinking a little bit too much fan Kool-Aid after we finished our season on a high note against Vanderbilt in the Texas Bowl in December when I thought to myself, man, it's not going to be long until we're competing for Big 12 titles again. But I got to tell you, most media outlets seem to think that Baylor is going to finish somewhere between three and six in the conference, usually at the higher end of that spectrum. So you've obviously got Oklahoma, who's the favorite. Texas is everybody's second favorite because, quote unquote, they're back. How many times have we heard this one before? And then, of course, a lot of people really like Matt Campbell's team in Iowa State to finish third. But after that, it's a pretty wide open race, and most people have Baylor right there. In fact, I was listening last Saturday morning to Fox Sports Radio and whatever show they have on Saturday mornings, and they were drafting. I think each host took nine or ten football teams in the country. And they were doing it like fantasy style, and they're trying to pick which football teams will finish the best. And one of them took Baylor, um, implying that they see Baylor as a top 20 program in the country. And I don't know if we're quite there yet, but I think that is something to watch this season as a storyline is Baylor hanging in there as a Big 12 dark horse contender. How will Baylor do now that we've kind of been exposed as a good team? There's a little bit more of a target on our back. What's going to happen? That is one of your storylines heading into 2019. Your number four storyline, I think, is going to be the offensive line, specifically as we look at depth and their consistency in play. Offensive line play, to say the least, has not been stellar in the past couple years. Matt Rule is a guy that has coached offensive line at the NFL level. Um, Sean Bell and George DeLeon, who work with the offensive line under him, are both experts in very different ways, very different experiences, but both stellar coaches in their own right. And you are just now finally seeing that Baylor is getting the athletes they want to fill those offensive line positions. The offensive line this year, obviously anchored by a guy in Sam Tecklenburg, who for the past two seasons has transitioned fully from being a tight end under Art Bryle's system to being an interior lineman for Matt Rule, put on a ton of weight. He's going to be playing the right guard spot this year and really going to be leading that group. Jake Frumorgan, the tackle transfer from Clemson, who I think came in with a lot of high expectations and has not come close to meeting them, has moved over to the center position, hopefully using some of what Matt Rule describes as a stellar intellect to guide that offensive line and make calls at the line. 
And then you've got some other big guys anchoring either tackle, including Connor Galvin, who's only a sophomore but played well in his minutes last year. We're finally going to see if all of this preaching Matt Rule does about being tough and being physical and playing good on either line is going to pay off as we are just now starting to see the depth on Baylor's offensive line that I think they've wanted this whole time. And of course, year three is when you really can start judging head coaches in college football for their recruiting and for the way that they coach the game from a personnel standpoint. And so I think that's definitely a storyline to watch going into this season is the offensive line depth and consistency this season. Your third storyline going into 2019 is Denzel Mims race to the draft. Jalen Hurd is doing a lot of good things for Baylor right now as he is starring for the San Francisco 49ers in the preseason, making a great impression in practice, scoring two touchdowns in his first preseason game as an NFL football player. And as NFL coaches see how Jalen Hurd plays at that receiver position coming out of Baylor under Matt Rule, as opposed to guys like Corey Coleman or Kendall Wright or Terrence Williams to an extent, who all had stellar careers at Baylor and to some extent disappointed in the NFL after playing for Bryles, if Jalen Hurd can really have a good rookie season, it helps Denzel Mims in the upcoming draft. Furthermore, if Denzel Mims has the kind of season we think he's capable of, over 1,000 yards, think 9, 10 touchdowns, really, really grasp that number one receiver position and take over games. He could be a first, second, third round pick without question. Um, we'll have to see how he progresses. He's got to get better this season. He obviously took a little bit of a step back last season. A lot of that because Jalen Hurd kind of became the ball dominant number one guy. But we're going to have to see what kind of impression Denzel Mims makes and see if he can really mark himself as one of those top-tier receivers for the upcoming draft. And I think he's more motivated than ever to be stellar and elite. To some extent, we're also seeing if two other guys can make their names in the draft. Chris Platt is one of those guys. And you may scoff at that when I say that, but listen, Chris Platt has an opportunity, I really do think, to be a late-round receiver in the upcoming draft. He's got a sixth year of eligibility we know he's gone through some injury issues. We know last year he was never quite back to 100% coming off of his injury two seasons ago. We know the guy is an elite track runner. We know that he's got good hands. We know because of the testimony of Rule and Chris Platt's teammates that the guy is a stellar blocker, hustler, the kind of guy that everybody wants to play with. If he can prove himself this season and get back a little bit closer to 1,000 yards, uh, score, make, some, make a few big plays like we think he's capable of doing. I really think Chris Platt is going for broke this year. He's going to be more motivated than ever to play well so that he even gets a shot to get in the NFL. And the other guy we have to watch on this front is James Lynch. And I know none of you want to hear that because we want two more seasons of James Lynch and not just one more season of James Lynch. But y'all, James Lynch is good. That guy is really freaking good. There is no doubt in my mind that guy is going to start in the NFL. The question is, is he going to be ready to make that jump at the end of this season, or will he need his senior season? I think it's perfectly safe to assume that there's about a 50-50 shot right now that he leaves at the end of this year, especially if he plays like he's capable of playing, 
shows that he can continue to get to the quarterback from the inside or the outside of that defensive line, shows that he can continue to stuff gaps and stop the run and just dominate Big 12 offensive linemen. If he could do that again this year, it would not surprise me if he makes a draft push at the end of 2019. The second biggest storyline, in my opinion, going into 2019 for the Baylor Bears is Charlie Brewer. And of course, it's Charlie Brewer. The game of football revolves now more than ever around who your quarterback is. It's more important than ever. The rules are completely there to protect quarterbacks, to make quarterback play excellent. And in the Big 12, as we know, it is an offensive league. It is an explosive league. And Charlie Brewer has all the playmakers around him now to be great. We have a stellar group of receivers, including Mims, Platt, Tyquan Thornton, Josh Fleeks, others. We have a three-headed monster in the backfield lining up next to him or behind him in Jamichael Hasty, Treston Ebner, and John Lovett. All we need to do is give Charlie Brewer a little more time than we did last year. And this guy can not only be great, but could legitimately be one of the top 10, maybe top five quarterbacks in the country. This is the first season he's come in with no dispute to his position as the starter, as the leader. We all know how hard he works. We all know how motivated he is to win. He's a winner. And so the question for Charlie Brewer this season, we're going to find out, is Charlie Brewer an all-time good college quarterback? Or is he an all-time great college quarterback? Will Charlie Brewer finish as the second or third best Baylor quarterback ever behind maybe Robert Griffin? Or is he going to be just another guy in this era of Really good quarterbacks we've had for several years. We're going to find that out this season. Charlie Brewer has the opportunity to really step up and do something big. And the number one storyline going in to 2019 has to be year three under Phil Snow on the defensive side of the ball. We all have a lot of respect for Phil Snow as a coach. We all know what, he was, what he's been able to do at his other stops. We all know how all the coaches on Baylor's football team, including Matt Rule, including the former Texas high school football coaches, all of them just speak of Phil Snow as if he is just a savant, an expert, a, one of the best in the country, right? But the defense, no doubt, has still been the weakest side of the ball, despite the fact that we've gone from an Art Bryles who was far more concerned with offense to a Matt Rule who is far more concerned with defense. And the biggest part of that has been giving up the explosive play. You saw it all year last season. Baylor's defense would be really solid, really solid. First, second, third down, get big stops, big goal line stands. And then inevitably, every game, there was one or two plays, explosive plays, where a running back just gutted us up the middle for 80 yards. Or there was a receiver wide open down the seam. It happened over and over and over. And it's easy to blame individual players. And I know we, we all have somebody on our mind when I say that. It's easy to blame the scheme. But it really is, I think, the fact that these it takes a long time to learn a defense as complex and as innovative and as smart as Phil Snow's. This is year three. As I mentioned earlier, year three is the time you start evaluating college coaches. It's time to find out, is Phil Snow's defense going to work in the Big 12? I think it is, 
But I think we, it has to start the season with eliminating the explosive play. If Baylor can show more discipline on defense, there is no doubt in my mind Baylor can contend for the Big 12 in the next couple of years. There it is, your top five storylines headed into 2019. All right, it's time to go through Baylor's schedule game by game and talk about what we expect to see from Baylor this season. I'll go through each game, and then we will talk at the very end about the season as a whole. To put it simply, I think there's two games without question that we are going to lose, and I think we drop one or two more. And I'll tell you what the possibilities are there as we go through game by game. So let's start with the first game on Baylor's schedule. Stephen F. Austin comes to Baylor. I won't spend a lot of time on this one. We learned when Liberty came to town a couple years ago and beat our butt that you can't take these small schools for granted. You still got to get up and play football. But I think this Baylor team is a heck of a lot more mature and a lot more seasoned than the one that lost to Liberty. We know what to expect out of Baylor under Matt Rule, and that's a team that's going to play disciplined, tough football. SFA comes in and gets blown out. Baylor cruises in that one without question. We probably get to see quite a bit of Gary Bohannon in that game, which will be a lot of fun for us as well. Next game, UTSA comes to town on September 7th, and it's pretty much the same story. UTSA is a program that constantly feels like they get close to being good, and then they crash and burn again. They had a rough season last year. It's going to be rough for them again this year, and I don't think there's any way they come into McLean Stadium and beat the Bears. I've got Baylor winning big in that one as well. Baylor then gets a bye week which is kind of an odd time to have a bye week you know, after two warm-up games, but it really almost makes those two games feel like preseason games because then we get into our biggest non-conference opponent and then the Big 12 gauntlet. And so Rice is that opponent after the bye week going to Houston to play that game. And I think Baylor cruises in that one. I, I don't see anything on Rice's roster or in their makeup this season that would lead me to believe they could upset the Bears. Road games are tricky, but of course, there's nothing uh, about going to Rice that should intimidate anybody. I think Baylor cruises, and I think Baylor finishes the non-conference slate 3-0 and pretty easily. I think it would be a colossal disappointment to have anything less than that and sincerely do not expect any any threat of upset in those three games. And then comes the first toughie, because going back to McLean on September 28th, Iowa State comes into the building. Some of you guys know I predicted Iowa State to win the Big 12 last year. I'm a big fan of Matt Campbell, big fan of that program and the way that they are handling themselves. Of course, they lost two of their biggest playmakers in the offseason with David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler, both making the jump to the NFL And David Montgomery, by the way, playing very well so far in his limited NFL opportunities. But the way that Baylor played in Ames last year gave me a lot of hope for this game this year. Ames is one of the toughest places to play in the Big 12. If there's three places I don't want to play in the Big 12, and I told you this last year, it's Morgantown, it's Stillwater, and it's Ames. And we played really well in Ames last season, had a chance to win that game. We all know how it ended. It got scrappy. There was a fight, right? There was people throwing punches, Greg Roberts going at it with Montgomery, of course. And I really liked the way that Baylor played in that game. But that being said, Iowa State's going to come in really hungry and really eager to win that game after some of that bad blood. I think Baylor's home field advantage here does the trick. I expect a close game. 
three to seven points, but I do expect Baylor to pull it off at home and upset the Iowa State Cyclones. And I suspect that that is the game that will propel Baylor into the top 25 nationally, sitting at 4-0 after that game. Next, Baylor goes to Manhattan to take on Kansas State. This is a program that is in a clear rebuild. New head coach, new systems, not a lot of talent. What Bill Snyder was so good at was getting either um, not as talented guys or guys that had been overlooked by other programs but had a lot of talent, fitting them into his system and making it work. He's very much like Bill Belichick in that way. Belichick rarely gets the superstar players. Outside of when they took Randy Moss in in New England, Bill Belichick rarely goes for the superstar players, but he takes guys that fit his scheme and it works. That's what Kansas State has done for ever under Bill Snyder, and it's not going to happen that way anymore. And although Manhattan is a great college football venue, I really don't expect any threat here for Baylor. I think that's a fairly easy win, and whether Baylor beats Iowa State and is feeling really good at 4-0, or whether Baylor loses to Iowa State and goes into that game needing to rebound, I think Baylor plays well in Manhattan on October 5th and wins that game. On October 12th, Texas Tech comes to Waco. It's the first time, I think, in a decade that Baylor and Texas Tech are going back to a home-and-home instead of playing at AT AT&T Stadium in Arlington. I think that's really good for both schools. I think both schools have really fun uh, atmospheres, game day stadiums, and it's going to be really fun to see this series get back to that. I think that's actually going to help this uh, little mini rivalry in a way that Baylor and Texas Tech have. And this is one of those sneaky games that I think we could drop. I don't think we will. I think we win this game. I don't think Texas Tech is quite ready to come into Baylor and win this season. But Matt Wells is a great coach. A great coach. That offense is going to be rolling, especially if Alan Bowman is healthy. This could be a game, a sneaky game that Baylor drops if they are not careful and come into this 5 and 0 top 25 kind of cocky tech could come in there and upset us very easily i don't think they do but i do think the game is really close and really scary i'll give baylor a 3 point victory on october 12th going to 6 and 0 as we reach the halfway point in the season and what a start that would be but i think it's very achievable and totally not out of the question as long as we beat iowa state and take care of business Versus Tech. 6 0. And here comes the nightmare game, Martin. Where are the three places I don't want to play? Ames, Morgantown, Stillwater. And Stillwater is the worst of the three. I think I've told this story on the podcast before. I'm going to tell it again. 2013, we all know what happened. Last year of the BCS system, Baylor's got a couple of games to go ranked number three. Real opportunity. Win out, and you're probably in the national championship. Bryce Petty, Shock Linwood, Corey Coleman. That was, a, that was a star-studded team that went into Stillwater and got the doors blown off. And I was there. I got up there Friday night before the game, stayed up all night, was on the set of college game day on the front row that day in Stillwater, and I went into that stadium very optimistic, and I saw just how tough that venue is that place is crazy if you've never been to a game in Stillwater, i would encourage you to go this year just because it's awesome 
and it's fun and there's nothing like it. The the walls of the stands literally about six feet in some places from the border of the field. I mean, it's unbelievable. The crowd is right on top of that field and it gets loud. I mean, I've been to two games at DKR now and sorry, Texas fans, you've got nothing on Oklahoma State Cowboys fans. Absolutely nothing. We're going to lose in Stillwater this year. And it's going to suck because that that team is not as good as our team this year. But I'm going to tell you this. The only time Baylor's going to go into Stillwater and win, other than a couple years ago when we had a guy named Seth Russell playing quarterback, is if we get back to like that top 10, top 12 program status. I mean, that's a tough place to play. And so I I really think that's going to be – I don't think that's just going to be a loss. I think that's going to be a big loss. I think we lose that game by two or three touchdowns. And that's going to be really disappointing because we're going to go in there five and one or six and zero. Oh. But I, I really don't give us much of a chance to win Stillwater on October nineteenth. It's going to be bad. Now that game's not going to be fun to watch, Martin. It's not going to be good. So, good news. You get a Saturday off after that game because the next game Baylor plays after that game in Stillwater is on Halloween. West Virginia, come into Waco. Praise God, because as I said twice already, I don't want to go to Morgantown. That place is scary to play. West Virginia coming to Waco. Obviously, they themselves are going to be in a little bit of a rebuild this year. New head coach lost Will Greer, who we know was probably the best quarterback in the conference last year, along with Kyler Murray. You know, that's a given. Anyway, I got distracted. I forgot about Kyler Murray for a second. I was like, Will Greer's the guy. Oh, yeah, there's this guy, Kyler Murray. Will Greer was great. He's gone. So West Virginia comes into Waco. I think that's a great opportunity for Baylor to have that extra half a week off after losing in Stillwater to prepare for that game. I think Baylor gets a big win there. And that would put Baylor at 7-1 and one going into November. If you, I don't care where the loss is. If Baylor goes in November 7-1, and one, I am ecstatic. I mean, we won seven games all year last year. Seven and one. But it's a I great place it. to be. What'd, What'd you say? say? That's a great place to be. Yeah, and I, and, I, and I really don't think that's out of the question. I mean, Iowa State's going to be a tough game. Tech's going to be a tough game. But, but really, none of those... We're about to get into the gauntlet on the schedule here. But this schedule works... Part of why this schedule works really nicely for Baylor is because the easy games are really front-loaded and the harder games come toward the end. And some teams may not want to play it like that, but I love that because I think that gives that gets you playing your best football by the time you face the tougher teams. So going into November, I'm saying we're seven and one. What were you gonna say? Well, absolutely. Um, but that's when you get your best football. So November 9th, again, about a week like that awkward kind of week and a half off, that 10 days off because you're going from a Thursday to the following Saturday or the, the following, following, you know, the next week, Saturday. I didn't say that so well. We go to Fort Worth, and this is where um, I'm going to make a couple other people mad. I think this is the game we screw up. So I said before I started this game-by-game game prediction that there's two games I definitely think we're going to lose. The one in Stillwater is one of them. You can probably guess the other one. We'll get there in a second. I think this is that game we drop that we shouldn't. There's going to be at least one. That's what I'm telling you. It, it may not be this game, but I think it's going to be this game, and I hate that. But I think we're going to drop it to TCU in Fort Worth this year. That I mean, this rivalry is so good. Somebody was suggesting in the offseason, by the way, uh, there was this whole contingent of Baylor. Did you see this on Twitter, Martin? No, I didn't. There was this whole contingent of Baylor fans on Twitter 
this probably happened two months ago. They were trying to like crap all over the Baylor TCU rivalry. They were like, TCU's not our real rival. Our real rival's A&M. Our real rival's Texas. I'm sorry. If you think Texas or Texas A&M gives a rip about Baylor, you are out of your mind. I mean, it's really that they do not care about us. They, they really don't. They only care about us when we're good and they get jealous. But like in a normal season like this, they do not care. They really don't. We are not their rival. We've never been their rival. Texas A&M's fight song is about Texas, for crying out loud. Now We don't even play them. Well, their rival now, yeah, their rival now is LSU. And Texas, they play one of the two or three best rivalry games in college football in Dallas every year against Oklahoma. They don't care about little old Baylor. Like I said, they get jealous if we win, right? But they don't care. Sure, they hate OU. They truly hate OU. Yeah. As they should. That's that's the rivalry. That's rivalry. TCU and Baylor is the third most played rivalry in college football, friends. Third most in college football history. TCU and Baylor are almost exactly the same size. They're both expensive private schools. They're both Christian schools. Although, I could rip on TCU for, <laughs> for what that means for them. Quote unquote Christian. Right. But that's fine. Baylor's kind of like that too. Sometimes it's fine. It's fine. My point is it's the TCU Baylor rivalry is real and it's a natural one and it's a good one. It's a dadgum good one. It's salty. I mean, and, and it was probably yeah, at its peak with Patterson and Bryles and obviously splitting the conference title in 2014. That was nuts. 6158. Never, never forget. <laughs> but listen, it's still one of the best rivalries, certainly in the South, if both schools get back to their potential, certainly in college football. TCU is Baylor's natural rival. Sorry for the sidebar. All that to say, I think we lose in Fort Worth because I think TCU is not going to be that good this year. But I think if they're going to get up for a game, it's going to be having Baylor come to their house. And I think if we go into that game 7-1, and one, we're going to be a little bit too big for our bridges. And they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. Exactly. So I, th- I think we lose that game. Then comes the other game that I'm quite confident we're going to lose, and that's Oklahoma coming into Waco. Guys, believe me, I was there in 2011 in the front row watching RG3 torch the Sooners' hopes and dreams and win a Heisman, okay? And I was there for several of the other games when we beat Oklahoma. But Oklahoma right now is the third best program in college football. They are. Under Lincoln Riley, they're the third best program in college football. They are the top of that second tier. If your first tier is Clemson, Alabama, which it is, the top of the next tier is Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley is doing outstanding things there. And guys, they've got Jalen Hurts. And I know that people think that Jalen Hurts can't throw, but when he came in and made some big throws from Alabama, like, I don't think anybody was saying he can't throw. Just because he's not Tua Tagovailoa doesn't mean he can't throw. Like, the dude is a heck of a quarterback. Heck of a college football quarterback. And he, just like Kyler Murray, just like Baker Mayfield, is the transfer that goes to Oklahoma trying to prove something, and he's going to be a Heisman finalist this year. He is. He's a quarterback running Lincoln Riley's system. He'll be in New York for the Heisman ceremony. And they're going to come into Waco and win. I think we play it close. I think it probably looks a lot like the game against Oklahoma did two years ago in McLean when we lit Baker Mayfield up and made that a a competition. But I do think Oklahoma wins that game, and I I don't think um, I have much doubt in my mind about that unless Jalen Hurt gets injured which is always a possibility I think we lose that game 
But the week after that is going to be the most fun week of the season. Oh, boy, because I'm going to tell you something. Texas is coming to Waco. And we should have beat Texas and Austin last year. I know some of you think we were playing against the Longhorns and the Zebras. There were some questionable calls in that game. I don't want to blame a game on the referees. We had opportunities to win that game, and we didn't. But, ooh, buddy. Can I tell you something about Sam Ellinger? Sam Ellinger is the most overrated player in college football. He's the most overrated player in college. Sam Ellinger is not that good. He's the C-team version of Tim Tebow. That's what he is. He's tough. He's I mean, respect the heck out of the guy for the way he plays. He's tough. He plays to win. He's not afraid to take a hit. I, I love that in a quarterback. That's why I love Charlie Brewer. But Charlie Brewer and Sam Ellinger are rivals since high school. And I know how disappointed Charlie was to lose in Austin last year, even though Sam Ellinger was on the sideline. Texas is not going to come into Waco and win this year. I don't care. I don't care if they come in there with one loss to Oklahoma, of course. Texas is not going to win in McLean Stadium this year. It's not going to happen. That team is overrated. Baylor is underrated. And if Baylor is coming off a two-loss streak to TCU in Oklahoma, if Baylor's going to get up for one game, it's going to be having Texas in our house, especially after the way it went last season. So I think we win that game. And I think we win it handily, honestly. I think that's a party. And I think that's the day that McLean Stadium feels like it did, you know, in those years that we were competing for Big 12 titles, 2014, 2015. I think that that game could be electric. And then we end the season going to Lawrence, Kansas, the basketball school. November 30th, going to Lawrence, wiping Kansas. Hey, don't you count Les Miles out just yet? That's true. How interesting is that going to be seeing him coach at Kansas this year? Les Miles is one of my three or four favorite coaches in college football. I, I love that man. Well, isn't he doing it for uh, like the HBO rights or something like that? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? He, you know, he was trying to be an actor, and he's a terrible actor. He's just himself. He's in a movie or something, though, isn't he? He very well was. He was in some trailer in the offseason. Tweet at me if you know what movie Les Miles is in. Yeah, Les Miles. But with it, as we said, with Rule and Snow, it takes three years at least for a college football coach to get their program installed. Les Miles is great. Is he good enough to win games at Kansas? Maybe in three years. Not this year. No way. We're going to go steamroll them in. Uh, Lawrence, all respect to Les Miles, but that's not going to be a close game. Baylor's going to go win. And so, y'all, yeah, I have Baylor going 9-3 and three this season. 9-3. and three. I think that's a very reasonable expectation. If we win one of those games I say we lose, there's a really good shot we make the Big 12 championship game. I think that might end up being Oklahoma-Iowa State or Oklahoma-Texas, but there's a good shot we could make it if we win the right games and if we take care of business. But we'll have to see. I don't th- I'm not going to predict that today. I say we go 9-3. and three. That gets us to a really good bowl game. I would love to see Texas A&M in a bowl game. Speaking of the rivalry that's not a rivalry, I'd still love to go kick their butt in a bowl game. But we'll just have to see how it goes. 9-3. and three. I think that's reasonable. Uh, I had one friend that I accused of not being very optimistic looking into this season because usually he predicts that Baylor's going to win 12 games. Well, I'll just say who it is. You, you all know Drew Mills. Drew Mills has been on this podcast. At AC Mills. That's right. Well, it's a, a, at AC Mills 237. Yeah. Drew, 
every season it's the guy that's like, Baylor's going to win every game this year. And he's not like that this year. And I, I said, you're not your usual optimistic self. And he said, well, I've got us winning nine games. I don't think nine games is too optimistic, dude. I think nine games is very reasonable. I think nine games, I mean, I think eight, seven to eight games should be the expectation. And nine games is the, like, certainly within reach peak, I think. Um, it's college football. Anything can happen. It could be more. It could be a lot less. But I think nine games is a perfectly reasonable expectation. And that would put us third or fourth in the Big 12, just like most people are kind of predicting. So there you have it. That was my game-by-game prediction for this upcoming season for Baylor football. Moving on to our next top five list for this preseason episode, we've got our top five Baylor Bears headed into 2019. And number five is a guy that really surprises me. But as I put this list together, I couldn't help but putting him there because he was outstanding last year. And that's Raleigh Tejada at cornerback. Raleigh Tejada is not a guy anybody expected to be a starter, maybe even. And certainly not Baylor's number one cornerback, but because of injuries, and it helps that he was playing across from a stud like Derek Thomas, but Raleigh Tejada played outstanding football last year. In fact, Pro Football Focus, thanks to them for these statistics, Pro Football Focus had him as the highest graded cornerback in the Big 12 last year. There was not a touchdown scored on Raleigh Tejada all season last year. He had two interceptions and five pass breakups, which isn't eye-popping. But the fact is that Raleigh Tejada, also a track runner like Chris Platt, played great football last year and will be relied upon this year with Derek Thomas departing to be Baylor's number one cornerback and to cover number one receivers. He's a little undersized, but the guy is fast. The guy has the ability to catch up when he gets beat, and he has the ability just to stay on top of the receivers with his athleticism. And I think he's got an opportunity to be a four or five interception guy this year. And I think he's the best player in that secondary, knowing that Grayland Arnold still has some question mark coming off of injury, knowing that Chris Miller and Henry Black have yet to play up to their athletic potential. I think Raleigh Tejada is a guy that is going to do great stuff for Baylor this year. And I really believe he is the number five player for the Baylor Bears headed into the 2019 season. Number four, I've got Denzel Mims. Like I mentioned in my previous top five list, this guy is playing to get to the league this year. You know, 6'3", fast as heck, can win those jump balls as we saw last year, especially at the end of the game against Oklahoma State, getting that game-winning catch last year. The guy is outstanding. He does suffer, it seems, in some games from just completely falling off the radar, falling off the map, and, and disappearing at times. And again, I don't know last year if that's just because he was across the field from a Jalen Hurd or if that's how Rule had schemed it last year. Uh, There was one game he didn't start because of some issues in practice. But Denzel Mims has all of the physical tools to be an NFL wide receiver and to be a first team all Big 12 wide receiver this season. Will he do it? I think he will. He definitely seems motivated and determined. He's definitely one of the best Baylor Bears on this year's team. I've got him at number four. The number three Baylor football player this season going into 2019 is Clay Johnston. Clay Johnston is awesome. I mean, he is the guy that has come directly into that fold of Bryce Hager, Eddie Lackey, Taylor Young, where he is that middle linebacker that is so reliable, so solid, 
constantly makes big plays, makes big stops. He has gotten some criticism for disappearing at times in games last year, but senior season, he's going to put it all together. I think he's going to have a really big year. He's on all the preseason watch list. He's preseason all Big 12. He's the leader of that defense without question from a leadership perspective. That is the guy the defense is really looking to as the captain, as the guy to put the defense all together, get them on the same page. As the Mike linebacker and Phil Snow's defense, he's got a ton of responsibility on his shoulders, has to make a bunch of calls every snap. The guy is able to do it. He's going to step up. Clay Johnston, your number three Baylor Bear. Your number two Baylor Bear headed into this season is none other than Chuck Brewer, the quarterback. People are starting to acknowledge that Charlie Brewer is a really good college football quarterback. He's getting some good attention, but I don't think he's getting enough attention. I think he could be one of the best college football quarterbacks this season, and I honestly believe he's the best quarterback in the Big 12. Jalen Hurts going to have a big year. Sam Ellinger getting all the hype. There's some others like Bowman who might step up. But I think Charlie Brewer is the best quarterback in the Big 12. I think he has the most to prove, and I think he plays best that way. I also think he's still underrated from a mobility standpoint. He's not just a guy that can scramble out of issues. He's a guy who is a threat to gain yardage on the ground. And when you've got three running backs with him, like Hasty, Ebner, and Lovett, who can also gain yards on the ground, Brewer's feet become that much more of a problem. Charlie Brewer is the second best player on this team, and he would easily be the best player on this team if it wasn't for our number one guy, James Lynch. James Lynch is an... I can't say enough about James Lynch. This guy, that James Lynch, I don't think any of us when he was coming out of high school thought he would be what he is. I mean, from his first game, his freshman year, this guy has done nothing but mow over offensive linemen, get to quarterbacks, make big stops, Draw double teams. I mean, this guy is the real deal. In a minute, you're going to hear my interview with Nick John Baptiste, and Nick John Baptiste puts him in the same tier as Andrew Billings. I mean, this guy is good. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind he could win Defensive Player of the Year if Baylor has a good season, if he has a good season. He could leave early, be a first-round draft pick. I, I don't think any of that's out of the question. His ceiling is limitless. I think this is the year we see just how good this guy is. And he is, without question, the best player on Baylor's football team. I'm excited to watch him play in 2019. We're going to move into our interview for the week now with Nicholas John Baptiste. This is one of the most entertaining interviews I've ever done in doing this podcast. Nick was outstanding, and you're going to hear that. This guy was a great player at Baylor. He was a GA with Baylor just a few seasons ago. He's now coaching at Navarro Junior College. The guy knows football. He knows football from an intellectual standpoint. And he was also a physical specimen on that defensive line playing next to Phil Taylor and some other really good players when he was at Baylor. I hope you enjoy it. Here's Coach Nick John Baptiste. Well, hey, um, thanks so much for being part of the Please Bear With Me podcast. Why don't you start by catching Baylor fans up on where you are and what you're up to and um, and all that, man. Um, well, yeah, nowadays um, I am the current defensive line coach at Navarro Junior College in Corsicana. Um, I've been out here since March of 2018. So this is, I'll be going into my second season this fall. It's been, a, it's been a quite an experience doing the junior college, the junior college uh, coaching life. Um, 
<laughs> it isn't it isn't all like last chance you, but there's some similarities. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's the first question usually. Like if someone has watched it before and they they, they understand the truth, so they're like, man, was it anything like that? It's like uh, there's some similarities, but it's not all like that. Like I promise you, I don't know if you're gonna have anybody like Coach JB out there, but uh, right. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean it's it's there's some similarities between it, but I've I've enjoyed it so far. A lot of good kids just trying to get to that next step in, in life when it comes to getting to a four year school. Yeah. Well, hey, a uh, couple of follow up questions to that. Walk me through how you got to Navarro. So you, you know, you left Baylor after the uh, very successful 2011 season, um, and and I know you got into some camps and were trying to get uh, keep playing football. And then how did you go from that to coaching to Navarro? So basically, um, I want to say in the 14 season, like when, when 14 came around, um, I was playing. I started playing arena football, and so after that season of arena football, I think we ended in August. I was trying to talk to like some of the guys on the old staff, like Coach Acuff, about trying to be a GA. That's what they had GA at that moment. So I waited. Uh, I ended up taking a um, uh, an internship, basically a paid internship in at D two school in South Dakota, South Dakota Burns. Wow! Defensive line. I was basically like a defensive tackles coach, working my actual coaching job. And I, <laughs> I found that I basically found that on football. And I, I applied, I interviewed, and I took that job and drove up there as soon as my football season was over with. It was it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. I loved the kids up there. Um, I loved coaching. And it basically, I, I realized that was my passion. Like at the end of that season, I basically called called my um my old my old mentor Chris Acuff, who was coach at Baylor. Um, I told him I was like, Man, this is what I want to do. This is what I think I, I want to do. That's my purpose in life. And so um, he had told me to come down. To Baylor and 16, they were getting ready to go to the. Uh, I want to say it was getting ready for the Rough Athletic Bowl, the bowl practices. I talked to Coach Bennett, and he had told me to come back in January and we, we should have some support. So when they came back that, that that spring, I got the job as a GA for Baylor in 16. I was working with the defense line with Coach Acuff. I had the, the noses, he had the uh, the ends, and so. Um, that was that was an incredible experience. Um, getting to work with that 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 defense and then learning, and, and a lot of those players. Are, I mean, some of those guys are still on the team now. Like Bravion Roy is still on that team on the team from on this nineteen team. He was a true freshman coming in that season, um, and so I got to and then like Ira Lewis, Greg Roberts, yeah, Xavier Jones, all those guys were all they were all young pups when when I got to meet them at 16. And so getting to see them last year kind of take off with their with their, with their last couple seasons has it, been good to see. So, but um, after 16, I had went back up to that Division two school in South Dakota, and they gave me the full-time job as defensive line coach. And so I was there for a season and coached up there again and was recruiting Texas as well. And at that point when we – and I think it was maybe January, February – I got a call once again from Coach Acuff, basically saying, "Hey man, I'm at Navarro, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm leaving here, going to he was going to Arizona for the Cardinals, 
he was like, hey, I want you to take this job. I think this would be a great experience for you down here in Navarro. You'll get to coach some really good, talented players. You'll get to meet some talented some coaches, and, and, and you'll get to network. So um, I, I, I took that opportunity and ran with it. And so the head coach at that point was Coach uh, Coach Gush, who was a linebacker coach at yeah. in sixteen. So, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a pretty seamless transition for me going back into basically what I played where I got a defense I got to play in and coach it with and and so it's it's been a it's been a great opportunity so far here at Navarro. Man, that's a, that's awesome. And to have mentors like that, you know, that that uh invest in you and, and want to see you succeed and just you know, take time well after you've left their program to help you out. It's just that's part of what I love about sports man. Um so tell me this because my listeners will will kill me if if I don't ask and you teased it. Tell tell my listeners how Navarro or or any junior college does compare to like Last Chance U and what what uh, is unique about Last Chance U and does it actually happen at every junior college? <laughs> go go a little bit further into that for me. I'll I'll say this I'll say this the similarities between what I do now and some of what's going on in Last Chance U is. Obviously, academics has to be stressed every day with each player. Whether it's, I mean, you have to be, and it's, I mean, that's, and that's, it happens at all four-year schools, honestly. Whereas you have to, you have to kind of almost be not a babysitter, but you have to be constantly stressing academics because some guys they don't see academics as a big deal, and they think it's all about football. I'm going to get down to play football. And it's like, no, man. First thing these coaches are going to ask, these four-year schools are going to ask, be great. Right. So the similarities between a lot of those guys who who don't make it out on last chance you and do really be the transfer and getting those and taking care of your academics. So that's one of the big the big uh, big the big similarities between where I am now and and the last chance you. Now the difference is <laughs> some of those personalities I think are made for cameras. Oh yeah. Things they edit because. I mean, you're not going to see some of the antics that some of these coaches go through. Like, I'm, like I think junior college is more towards that EMCC look, where I mean, you got a buddy, you got a buddy, Steven, who's a real, real passionate, real intense guy. But you're not going to get guys like I'm not, I don't see as many guys like on the JB side with the independence. It just seemed like there was a lot going on there behind the scenes that it just seemed to be. Did you just see? I, I guess. In, in the EMCC one, you saw a lot more game planning, a lot more getting ready for games than than you saw in the independent. A lot of the independence was a lot of drama. You're not going to get too much drama with these kids. They'll, I mean, there'll be things going on, but it's not the extent that they had, I guess. And so, I think that's probably maybe the biggest difference between what you see on that last chance shoe and and and, uh, and what's what's really going on in junior college football. Now, let's talk a little bit about your story because um, that's part of what I love about doing this is getting to know, uh, you know, Baylor players and, and kind of where they came from and what they went through. You were a walk-on yourself. Yes, sir. Um, so, so I'm curious. Uh, I'm, that's always inspiring when someone can walk on and then be very, very successful at, at you know, Division One, Big 12 level. But tell me, what what made you decide to come walk on to Baylor um, as opposed to – I'm sure you had scholarship offers – elsewhere what what was going through your head as a senior in high school and then you know a freshman in college that made you want to 
walk on at a place like Baylor where, I mean, everybody knows tuition's expensive, man. It's, it, it is not cheap to go to Baylor. And Baylor um, is not the easiest uh, program academically. You know, there's there's places where it'd be easier to get the grades. So um, what got you to Baylor? Um, honestly, um, I, I, I had an interest in Baylor for a while because I wanted to – I wanted to go to Baylor originally because I just wanted to. I, originally, I wanted to be a, pre, uh, a pre-med kind of guy and get into the med school. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to Baylor. I didn't, I didn't want to go to Rice because like, Rice is too small of a campus. Oh yeah. I don't want to be in Houston. I want to get out of the city. And so I was like, let me see. I want to go. I really would love to go to Baylor. And um, and so, but I also wanted to play football. And so, the opportunities to play. The opportunity to play in a, you know in the Power Five with the Big Twelve, while also to a school where I could get my education was 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 enticing. But I didn't obviously didn't get a scholarship. I went to a lot of camps in that summer beforehand, and so I got to meet. Um, at that point, it was under still under Guy Lewin, still under Guy Moore. So the line coach then was his name was Don Wanek. And I'll never forget him because he was the one that originally gave me my opportunity. Um, he had came to my high school to actually recruit another player, and my head coach had talked to him about me just, you know, trying to walk on. And so um, we had kept in touch, and he was like, I'll let you know about, you know, if you have an opportunity to, you know, come walk on maybe early and come and be a preferred walkman and whatnot. Cause honestly, I was just going to go to school and then maybe do the tryout or whatnot. <laughs> but um, I get a call, like, I think the end of June from Coach – Coach Winnick saying, hey, we got a spot open for a tournament ball camp. Would you be interested in coming up early? And I was like, well, yeah. And so I took that opportunity and ran with it. Honestly, um, recruiting-wise, I didn't have a lot going on. I had a couple of D2s, like, but they came in pretty late, like in April and May. And at that like, by that point, I had already decided I was just going to go to Baylor because I was just going to go to school or if I got the opportunity to play football or not. And so just the way luck had it where, uh, I mean, Coach Winnick had an opportunity for me to come in early and, and get a chance to, to actually play was uh, was pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, and that's unbelievable considering that you were, you know, all Big 12 by your senior year, man. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, it, it just goes to show you can never count people out. Tell me, this is the conversation I might be most interested in, in hearing about. Tell me what that conversation is like when you – are given that scholarship. So, um, oh man, that was crazy. Yeah. So tell me more about that. Tell me when that was and and where you were and kind of how that went down. So basically it was going into, let's see, going into my redshirt sophomore year. So after, after our redshirt freshman year, so that summer we had done the whole summer workouts and we basically, I think we were the last week of summer workouts getting ready to get for fall camp getting done with summer school and all this stuff. And I was at the, my apartment with my roommate, and I get a call from Coach Aiko saying, hey, head man wants to see you come up to the office. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and I'm thinking, honestly, when you get a call, like, in the middle of the day in the summer, you're thinking, oh, man, what did I do wrong? Something happened. But I'm, trying to, I'm trying to make sure all my ducks are in a row, like, did I do this? Did I do this? I'm not in trouble for this, right? And so I go up to the office. I'm nervous. as all get out. And I sit down with the head man. Head man's like, "Hey, you know, we got an open scholarship. We've we've seen how you you matured and you've been helping us up front on the football field and on 
and in, in the academic uh, in the classroom as well, you've uh, you've you've done what you were supposed to do and got yourself to a point where we want to put you on scholarship and and like it's just this huge weight lifted off my shoulders when he after he said that and just I was ecstatic. It was exciting. I just I mean it's not like those, you know they. A lot, of, a lot of schools now they do a lot of things where it's, it's really extravagant when they offer scholarships. But just hearing that you are on scholarship, those like just those words, it's just a huge weight lifted off my shoulders. First thing I did, I tried to left the building, was call my mom. She was going crazy on the phone. My dad was laughing, just excited. It, it, it was just, it was just, it was just a, a great feeling. Just blessed to to be able to say that I you know, get to go to school. For free, <laughs> so yeah, it was a big, it was a big time, uh, big time event. I can't. I literally can't imagine. Like that, <laughs> that's wild. It was, yeah, um, it was gives me chills just hearing you talk about it. Um, so tell me this: uh, you you had a very successful career at Baylor. Uh, were were a very important part of the football team for those three or four years, making big plays, and you know, like I mentioned, all Big Twelve. You're your senior year and uh but i I think what a what a lot of baylor fans the reason a lot of them will remember you i think when we air this interview is because you played right next to phil taylor um in that interior defensive line who is one of the most physically imposing massive people i've ever seen um Tell me what playing next to him is like and how how that helps your game and how you were able to push his game Oh, Big Phil! Uh, Big Phil is still one of my one of my good friends. I still talk to him to this day. I mean, he's a, he's a really good dude. Um, he's I'm just, he's out in Cleveland right now, living with his family. Got she just popped out another baby. Um, but uh, uh, originally, when Phil came in, like, it was a competition because because at first we were playing, I mean we were both playing nose, and so he comes in for Penn State, and I'm like, man, this guy's gonna be a real deal. And, <laughs> And the funny thing is, when, when if you ask a lot of the guys in that on that line, that the day he came in, he came into the meeting room like, damn, whose dad is that? Like, who 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 brought their pops up here? We're like, man, that's okay with so, we, we all like did a double take. We're like, what? And like, yeah. So um, Phil was like, he was physically imposing as soon as he got here. He was uh, he was intimidating, but um. For everything is he wasn't in the best shape. They had to work him into shape that first uh that first year, his redshirt year where he came in and Coach Cobb did a great job with him where I mean that off season he got into shape and then when you got to watch him basically get into what we were doing with the red shirts with that bear ball where you get kind of the red shirts going against each other. <laughs> Big Phil would get out there and be mowing down these young red shirt freshmen who had who had no business going against him. And it was so funny watching him go out there and play. And I knew, I was like, man, this guy's going to be something special. But yeah, originally, Phil and I played, we were both playing those. So we were competing for that starting spot going into the spring of 09. I mean, I mean, I, I, like you said, I, was, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, I was all being close, but I wasn't all being close at that point. And so Big Phil was was the starter and I was his backup. And we always competed. And we were good, still good friends until, I mean, not that not like we weren't friends, but until 2010, his senior year, when that's when uh, it was him at nose and Tracy Robertson was at three technique, and I was backing him up. Tracy got hurt and towards uh, not MCL, towards meniscus. 
And so he was out for a couple of months, I want to say. At that point, that's when Coach Aiko said, well, put you at the three and put uh, let's put you at the three and put Phil at the nose. And so that's when you have two three hundred pounders playing up front. Um and you got Big Phil who like I'm saying he was projected first round pick and everything, so everybody was keying on him. I mean, he opened up a lot from opened up a lot of you know one on ones for me and and that season, twenty ten, was probably my best season. It might not be statistically but if you like grading out, I, that was probably my best season. Coach usually agrees with me about it, but because number one, Phil, I mean, he took on a lot of double teams. He took a lot of attention away from the rest of the defense line, and even then, he still was able to make plays when 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 it mattered most. And um, playing next to him was was a lot of fun because the guy the guy was so special when it came to just being able to come off the ball using his hands, his pass rush moves. For a guy his size, he had finesse moves and was agile. And so he took a lot of attention off of me. And even though, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't doing too much out there, I, I tried to do my job. And, and, and he made, he was a playmaker, though. And, and I was appreciative of him watching him play because, I mean, he helped me out, out there on practice field. He was, he was kind of a, a big brother to me, and I, I appreciate everything he did. When he was when he was with us at Baylor, tell me um, if you had two or three of your favorite moments or, or memories in your playing career. What would they be? Uh, this, uh, I mean, I think it always goes back to that one. The one game during my four years that everybody will always bring back up is 2011 Oklahoma. When we, I mean, the night we watched the night before, we watched Iowa State take down Oklahoma State in Ames when they were number two in the country. And then that's the whole weekend where everybody, like the whole top five went down. And, and Oklahoma comes into our house at five, and I think we were like 22. And funny thing is, the, the week of that game, I didn't even get to start the game. I was I got benched because I, I wasn't playing up to my abilities the first past couple games. I think it was Mizzou, North, Oklahoma State, and Kansas. I played terrible. I graded out bad. And so <laughs> but then it made a switch. Originally he put in he started Kayron Johnson in front of me. And Kayron and Kayron had a good game that game too. But I think I was just so like it was once again it was just another another thing a robot ahead of me where I had to, like I had to if I'm gonna play I gotta come out here and, and play it to my best ability and it kind of lit a fire under me in that game because I think I finished up I think two sacks I think I had two TFLs, and 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 then you get to watch Robert and Robert do the things he did that day, where you had the helmet, the the ball bounce off the helmet, and and, and Kendall catches it and takes <laughs> off. You got, I mean, those. I mean, T Dub was making plays at the end of the game. You got Elliot Coffee making the face on ESPN. <laughs> it was, a, I mean, it was, a, it was actually that game, and just the the atmosphere that night was insane. That would be probably one of my favorite games uh, by far, but playing-wise. And then you want to say 2010 K-State when we got bowl eligible for the first time in forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun because, I mean, they came into our house ranked and we, we had to battle back and, and, and win that game and, you know, being able to be bowl eligible the first time I want to say was like, 17, 18 years, like since 92, 93. And it was just, that was, that was incredible just to go out there and play that game. It was a lot of fun 
a year. So those two are probably my two favorite moments. Um, and then if I had to put a third, just because the way they talked about Robert the week of and how they went Heisman on him and Blake Gideon saying all that stuff. And, uh, I don't know if it was Blake, but it was maybe it was um, Carter Diggs. But, or whatever DB it was, talking about the week of and then first first drive, we go out there and score in two plays and then we route them and, 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 and we go on to win nine games that season and then end up winning ten with the bowl game. That was a lot of fun that You're taking me back, man, because I, I I grew up in Waco, so that 2010 season was actually my senior year of high school, and I was at all those games. <laughs> and then that 2011 season was my freshman year at Baylor. And, okay. and so tr- being a freshman and, and being on that Baylor line during that Oklahoma game and during that opening game, man, that you're bringing back good memories for me, too, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. Especially that Oklahoma game. That oh, was yeah. wild. Um so let's let's transition to this. How much have you uh, kept up with the program since? Uh, and and uh, I know I, I had completely forgotten that you went back as a uh, grad assistant. I had, that had completely slipped my mind when we connected to do this interview. Um, but have you been back a couple times since then? Do you know anybody on the on the current team or the current staff? How much do you still keep up with with? Um, the the past years, I I haven't got to really get a chance to come down there as much I was, I was, since I'm, I was in South Dakota. Um, and then last year, I didn't get a chance to. We were just all of our games were around the same time as the Baylor games, so I never got to. But I mean, basically from 12 to, to 15, I was I tried to get to every major game if I could. So like, um, I went I went to every bowl game from 12 to 15. I went to I went to the um, Holiday Bowl. I went to I went to the Fiesta Bowl. I drove out to the Cotton Bowl. I went to the only one I didn't go to was the Rav. I didn't get to go to Russell Athletics. But I went to all the other ones and then I got to go to I watched the, the Ice Bowl where we beat Texas in thirteen. We we closed out for a case and I made my I, got, I made my way up there for that game. I got to see the fourteen championship against K State in the new stadium. Um the only two games I didn't get to go to that I wish I did and I wish I had made the trip was was the blackout game against Oklahoma. Was a, I think it was a Thursday night. I, I, I had a ticket but didn't couldn't could not pull the trigger on driving. I wish I did. And then the sixty one fifty eight game, I could not I couldn't get a ride up there because my car was the car was busted so I watched it from a friend's house. And so those are two games I didn't get to check out. Um, I mean, I tried to go to when I had the opportunity to do it. Um, but like, yeah, this, I've been I watched a couple games this past season. I I I watched last year's um, last year's game, like the Duke game, um, Iowa State. I got to watch the K State, uh, the Oklahoma State finish, um, whichever. And then I, I didn't, and then I got to watch the Texas Bowl this year. Um, this past season as well. So um, I tried to keep up with as many games as I could when uh, when they had them on TV this these past two seasons. Um, so we're as as of the recording of this conversation, we just found out this week that Baylor um, lost its top two guys at the rush end position. Uh, 
Deontay Williams retiring, and I'm forgetting his name at the moment. I'll correct it when I edit the podcast. But the the other the redshirt freshman just leaving the program. Um, and there's a lot of talk about about uh, having to use a lot of three man front looks this year, be, just because of the necessity of losing some of those defensive ends. For the for the guys that are listening that are are really meatheads about football and, and it really uh, not meatheads but you know the re, that really study the game. Uh, real quickly, would you just as a coach tell us about um, a three man front versus a four man front and and how you make that transition and um, what that may mean uh, for the rest of Baylor's team, you know, to lose those two rush ends. Oh, so honestly, losing the rush end because the way I saw it is, was he was missing, the rush end and the defense was basically a high risk guy who could drop into, you know, drop into some flats and some space and whatnot. So, and then if they wanted to, they brought him on the edge as a four man pass rush. Obviously, the difference between the three- and four-man rush, I mean, you're losing an extra guy to bring pressure with. Um, and so it, it, you're, you're getting one you're getting one more double team between whether it's your nose tackle or whether it's your three, uh, that, that one end on one side, you're getting double team more instead of getting, you know, four one-on-ones and one kid can double team usually the nose tackle. Um, honestly, I think the, the three-man stuff, if you've got guys who can crush and – we and I think you, like the, the the current Baylor front has a guy, the guy, the couple guys that can rush, like James Lynch. Kid is kid is fantastic um, when it comes to pass rush. Oh his yeah, is, his hustle is second to none. Watching him play out there, it's, it's insane. Um, I think if you can, if you can, if you have a pass rusher, it doesn't matter if you're a three or four man, because those guys are gonna, those two ends are gonna work off the edge anyway. They're not going to be much. They're not going to worry too much about the inside move. If you can get a guy who can rush off the edge and and and, and turn that corner and bend that corner and get to the quarterback, it it won't matter as much. Now, obviously, you want to have an extra guy up there rushing to help out, but um, we, we we actually have run into that situation here at Navarro where we've had to hit, get into a lot of three man stuff, and there's a difference when you have a guy if you have the personnel to do it. It's a lot more fun because you can you can drop guys in coverage. You don't have to bring a lot of pressure. You don't have to worry about you know getting into a lot of and coverage. You can play a lot more zone because you can you don't have to you don't have to sit there and waste guys bringing them on blitz. Now obviously you're gonna want to bring heat sometimes to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands. But if you can if you if you can bring pressure with just three guys and you have the personnel to do it, a lot more coaches would do it. And so. I think that's more of a testament towards the three the three down guys they have and how confident they are and what they can do when it comes to the pass. And I see it as when it comes to a three man pass rush instead of the four, just based on the I think they that's why I think they have the personnel to do it and so that's probably why they want to do it. They're confident in, in those guys. Well, and you brought up, you know, the number one reason why I think Baylor's confident enough to go with the three-man front, and that's because you have a guy, James Lynch, who can play inside or outside, who's got strength, speed, hustle, uh, stops the run, gets the quarterback. You know, he, he kind of does it all for them up there. And uh, I want to ask you, and I, I think I know what you're going to say, but i got to ask you. Um, Baylor's had three really just generational uh talents at, at on the defensive line over the past uh, ten, decade or so, right? 
And I want to know if you could line up next to Phil Taylor or Andrew Billings or James Lynch, who do you most want to go to war with if you got to win a game right now? <laughs> That's a good question. That is a, that is a excellent question because Big Phil was he I mean he was a big athletic guy who was I mean he was just he was that prototypical nose tackle NFL nose tackle and so playing against him was I mean it was like basically you were playing with house money. Um, Bill Bill was an undersized nose tackle three technique but just how strong he was and and how he was how he became just a force to be reckoned with when it, I mean. The first thing I think about when I think of Bill is he takes down that that running back. Yes. Twenty yards out of the field. <laughs> You're not going to see that from a nose from any normal nose tackle. And so playing, I, I think if I got the chance to play alongside him, that would have been a lot of fun. I don't. And then just watching James, he's still. I'm saying he's only a junior, and the things he's done so far has been incredible. And just watching is just how he 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 rushes and how he plays the run. And there's zero stop, and there's zero like just he, he. I don't think he has an off switch. And so watching him play, um, it's 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 always like it's, that's basically a defensive coach, defensive line coach's dream with a kid whose feet don't stop, who just keep moving around, hands and feet don't stop. And so he's one of those guys that you would love to play with and love to play next to. I think honestly, I don't know. I was. If I had to, if I had to make a decision, it probably, it'd probably, probably be Bill, just because. Whoa! Think, and that's no, that's no shot at Phil because I got to play with Phil, and that's no shot at James because it's just, I just think I, I don't know something about the way Bill played when I got to watch when I got to watch that film of him at fifteen, and it's like if there's one game that I always bring, like I always will bring up about him. And it's 15 Oklahoma State. Watching him play in that game in 15 when they broke the they broke the streak of of, of, of winning, of finally winning in Stillwater. He's the main part. I know we were down a quarterback and Chris Johnson did did his thing in that game, but on the defensive side, Bill was wreaking havoc. And I think getting to play next to a guy who can who can just take over the way he did would have been a lot of fun. I that's not what I expected you to say, and I love that you said it because I think I think I think he is Baylor fans probably favorite if if we look back. Yeah, I mean he's the hometown hero. He he stayed here. He I mean he had some big he had some opportunities to go elsewhere. He stayed in the hometown, and I mean he lived up to honestly lived up to the hype. He was a guy who who I mean will forever like be be synonymous with Baylor football, especially like for a lot of us deep in the line, I mean, you're gonna I will always remember Bill I, I always remember Phil, I mean, but it is just because he was from Waco and he the way he played and how he finished his career from start to finish as a freshman. That's the thing that's the thing about when he came in as a freshman, I remember watching tape of him is is against U T I don't know if it was it was early on in the game where he basically puts a guard three yards in the backfield and makes a play. I was just like, all right, this kid as a true freshman is going to be stud, and he lived up to the hype for all four years, all three years he left after a junior year. So yeah, he was a he was a force to be reckoned with for sure. Well, hey, I've taken a lot of your time, so we'll we'll close on this thought. Uh, 
you, I know you said you haven't gotten to watch the current uh, the current uh, team very much due to your your coaching obligations, but uh, I think a lot of people are starting to see some similarities between um, what Coach Rule is doing, uh, just from a from a success standpoint, and what Coach Bryles did. Um, where both guys inherited something that nobody wanted um, and were able to turn them into champions. So, um, you know, you were there uh, on four win, you know, last place Baylor teams, and you went out, you know, as a as a 10-win team, Alamo Bowl champion, and, and you really, really laid the foundation, you and your class, um, for those two Big 12 championships that came later. Um and so I think a lot of Baylor fans look at what has happened so far in the past couple of years. You had a one-win season. Last year you jumped to seven, and now people are talking about Baylor finishing third in the Big 12 and, you know, maybe maybe competing for another championship in a year or two. Um, what similarities do you see between how you guys rose or differences between how you guys rose and how the program's rising now, and what does it take to get – uh, get to that next level where you can win ten games a year. Um, there are there are definite similarities. I always like just I know nobody wants to compare, and I'm not saying he's gonna he's gonna pull a Heisman by the time he leaves, but just how talented we are at quarterback. When when Robert came in, he was he was I mean he was ready for the freshman. And Charlie's been the same way. I think Charlie is a, is a is a heck of a talent at, at quarterback. And, he does a lot of good things, and and the similarities I think were where if you look, if you honestly go back and look at the first year, Robert, Robert's had to scramble and run around a lot because I mean we just we weren't the greatest at pass 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 protection at that point. Right. And so same thing, kind of that first year with Charlie, with Charlie, I mean, and where 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 Charlie is the first year of actually starting, where he's having to scramble a lot more. He didn't get a lot of time in the pocket, where the pass protection wasn't the greatest. Now. I mean, obviously they we 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 developed that and we put them we we got some guys in there who who were able to pass block and keep them, keep them upright for longer than four or five seconds. And I think that's not the case up to a year with the offensive line. So as long as Charlie can stay up and he can, and he can have some time in the pocket, I think he can be he can lead this team to the next step. And um, it, the similarities are. are Team is we. I mean, we obviously you know we gave up a lot of big plays first coming up. We gave up a lot of big plays. The same thing with this defense is that they had to learn. They have to learn and buy into that defense before anything else can happen. You got to to understand and do your job and not you know do too much. And I was, sometimes there's a lot of problems with the defense uh, for for Baylor this past year. Sometimes guys are just out of out of position and they started giving up big plays. And for the most part, for most of the game, you see defense play really well. It's just you give up three, four plays, and those turn into seven, and that's 28 points right there, 21, 28 points, and that's usually the difference in the game. And so I think, obviously, when once you start limiting big plays and you start getting the turnovers, that's, that's kind of where where we have the big flip on from not 10 and 11 from 8 and 9 was kind of limiting those big plays and then, Starting to get the, the win the turnover battle, and um, I think that's the same thing. And then finishing a game, the similarities. We, I'll say this: last these last two years for Baylor, they've had a lot more close games and just not finishing than we did. We I don't think 
we, we now we won more games that first year, but honestly, when we lost, we weren't we weren't losing close. And so, um, seeing how those this, this team has he, they they get to they get to the home stretch, you just can't get to the finish line. Um, it's it's it shows a lot of progress. I think this team, once they learn how to finish and once they start beating those teams, like those, those swing games, whether it's TCU, Iowa State, um, Oklahoma State, um, Texas, when you start when you start believing that you can finish the game and you can you you can play all four quarters, that's when I think you'll see that switch in. And honestly, this team this year they have the, there's a lot of potential, especially with the way the schedule lined up. There's a lot of potential for this team to build a lot of confidence up early and ride it all the way to the end because I mean there's definitely there's some big games coming up in the in the at the end of the year, whether it's the West Virginia game on Halloween or Texas coming in um the week before Texas and Oklahoma back to back and then I mean and then you can finish with we got I know that's a tough one. That that's a game I'm gonna try to get up to is the game at Kansas at the end of the season. But this it's it's shaped it's it's set up that this team if if it all comes together, it's I wanna say it's it could be a, it could be a seven win team, it could be a, a nine win team. It's just these swing games that they've learned how to, to, to pull it together. I think it's a eight and four, nine and three season. Man, I completely agree with you. Um Hey, I'm going to cut off the interview there, uh, but Coach, I appreciate it. this was this is one of the best interviews I've ever done for this show. So I really no, no problem at all. No, it's no problem. At all. I really appreciate you uh, letting me talk to you today, and uh, good luck this season, man. And uh, thank you. Thank if there's anything I can do for you, I know that probably not, but if if, if you think of something, let me know. And uh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, definitely. We'll uh, we'll have you back sometime, man. We'd love to have you back. So yeah, no, anytime. Honestly, if I've got some free time, I'll, I'll talk to you guys. Thanks again to Coach Nicholas John Baptiste for coming on. Please bear with me as our inaugural guest for Season 3. He was great. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed interviewing him. Here is our last top five of this preseason episode. This is the top five Baylor players who need to step up this year. And so in making this list, I was thinking about the guys that if Baylor's going to win nine or ten games like we hope they can— These guys need to have big seasons. These are guys that are going to be trusted with a lot of responsibility, and they need to do big things with it. These are guys, uh, some of them that have done some really good things, some of them that haven't, and all of them need to step their game up to the next level if Baylor is going to reach its full potential as a team this season. Here they are. Number five, I've got Grayland Arnold. Grayland Arnold, once again, as of the recording of this podcast, was awarded a single-digit number. For the third year in a row, as we know, these single-digit guys are voted on by the coaches and teammates, guys that have the hardest work ethic and practice that are um, basically that, that play the way that a Baylor Bear is supposed to play under Matt Rule, right? And Grayland Arnold, listen, there's no doubt we all like Grayland Arnold as a guy. We all love him as an athlete from an athletic perspective. But the reality is that Grayland Arnold, for about three seasons in a row, has been hyped as the next shut down, leave him on an island cornerback, and he hasn't been that. And some of it's due to injury, and some of it's just due to he hasn't been that. And that's okay. But like I mentioned when I was talking about Raleigh Tejada, we don't 
know who that number one cornerback is going to be yet. It's probably going to be Riley, but could it be Jamison Houston at moments in the slot? Could it be Grayland Arnold? If Grayland Arnold can play up to the potential we think he can, we could have two legitimate shutdown cornerbacks on either side of the field, and that would make Baylor's defense take a huge step forward from where we were last season. If Grayland Arnold can play up to his potential, he's got to stay healthy, and sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. But if we can keep Grayland healthy, he needs to take the next step in his game. He needs to make some big interceptions. He needs to make some big tackles. He needs to do those things. He can't just be a guy who's fast and who we like. He's got to make big plays. I've got Grayland Arnold at number five. At number four, I've got another single-digit guy and another guy who I think we all really like, and that's Jermichael Hasty. Jermichael Hasty is that guy that when the Bryles drama went down and Jim Grobe came, Jermichael Hasty very easily could have transferred to another really solid Division I school and been a really good player somewhere else, and he stuck around. So for that, love him. And he's a very good running back. But Jermichael Hasty again, is a guy that's been given a single digit. He's a guy that we've talked really, really big about for three years in a row who hasn't quite lived up to what we think he can be. Jermichael Hasty needs to make some big plays. And a lot of that has to do with how the offensive line plays, but a lot of that's got to do with his own patience, his own vision, his own ability to run the football. He's going to be split in time with two very talented running backs right behind him who are also eager. But if Jermichael Hasty is going to help the Bears win some games, he's going to have to make some big plays. He's got to take that next step. He needs to be the leader in that backfield. He needs to take command of that offense when he's in the game. He needs to be a very, very real threat. He needs to be a scoring threat every time he touches the ball. He's another guy who's finally healthy, and I think he's going to do a great job. But Jermichael Hasey is the number four guy that needs to step up this season. At number three, I've got defensive end James Lockhart. James Lockhart, the senior transfer from Texas A&M, had some moments last year. Had some moments last year, but overall kind of disappointed and ended up not starting or playing very much last season due to being passed up by other guys. James Lockhart is a guy who the coaches are talking really, really good about this fall. He's had some moments, like I said, but the guy needs to step up and really be the best end on this Baylor team with two rush ends leaving the team a couple weeks ago. With James Lynch, with we're trying to play James Lynch more inside at the defensive tackle spot. Lockhart needs to be the guy to step up to put pressure on quarterbacks, to play really well from that defensive end spot. James Lynch is going to get doubled. He can't do it by himself. If anybody's going to step up on that defensive line next to him, it's going to be Lockhart. And if you want to cover up some of the issues we've seen in Baylor's secondary over the past couple years, especially at the safety position, you need your defensive line to create a lot of pressure. And Lockhart's going to be pivotal in that. I want to see him step up this year. He's a senior. He's a hard worker. Just like these other two guys I've said, he's had a lot of hype around him. Time for him to step up and do it. James Lockhart at number three. Number two is our third single-digit guy on this list, and that's Henry Black. Again, three years in a row, Henry Black's been given a single digit. He's been hyped up by the coaches as this great playmaker. Couldn't really find a home on the football field last year. Is he a linebacker? Is he a safety Seemed to disappear in games even when he wasn't there. The guy's a great athlete. The guy was a highly touted recruit. But I need to see more from him. This year, it looks like he's going to be playing squarely at that strong safety position. 
And we need him to take big strides if that defense is going to fulfill its potential. The safety position last year was undeniably the most frustrating position on that defense, as it seems time and a time again. They were either not in place on coverage or they were taking poor angles and allowing those big explosive runs. Henry Black is going to be crucial to this defense's success. He needs to force some turnovers, but more importantly, he just needs to be in position and he needs to make tackles. If he can do that and not allow some of those big runs right up the gut, that is going to help Baylor tremendously in tight ball games. I'm counting on Henry Black to take a big stride forward this year. He's number two. And number one is Connor Galvin. Galvin is, without question, the starting left tackle going into the season. He's a physical specimen, and he's only a true sophomore. And so there's a lot at his feet. But don't forget that last year, Charlie Brewer was sacked a ton. Baylor gave up more sacks than anybody else in the Big 12. And that's unacceptable when you've got a guy like Brewer who can make big plays. When you've got playmakers around him, your offensive line has to give him time to get rid of the ball. So many of Brewer's nice plays came out of not design, but necessity because he was running for his life. It starts with Connor Galvin on the blind side. He's got to be able to take down big defensive ends. He's got to be able to stay upright and keep Charlie Brewer upright. We're really, really counting on him. The two biggest areas of Baylor's football team that need to take a next step forward are the defense and the offensive line. It starts at that left tackle position. It starts with Connor Galvin, and I'm counting on him and believing he's going to take a big step up this year and really surprise people. I'd love for this to be a, a Jason Smith story, you know, where a guy comes in and goes from being, you know, okay to being an all-American by his senior year. I think Connor Galvin has that potential. I think with Matt Rule, Sean Bell, and George DeLeon's help, he could get there. We're going to see just how good he is this season, but he is number one in terms of bears that need to take big strides, that need to step up, that need to be one of the best on the team. He's one of them. And we're going to see just how good that young man is this season. Hey, Baylor fans, I just wanted to jump in here as I'm getting ready to publish this podcast. And first of all, say again, thanks for listening. I know this was a long preseason episode. But secondly, wanted to update a couple of things. You know, since recording some of these segments, Baylor has released some new things. So first of all, very thrilled that James Lockhart, one of my players that needs to step up, was given a single digit. I think that's a good sign. Secondly, the move of Grayland Arnold to safety and Henry Black back into that linebacker spot, I think really actually helps both of them. I think it helps both of them. The question will be, can Grayland Arnold tackle well enough and again, stay healthy to play that safety spot. How will that translate? And then for Henry Black, I think he's more natural at that position, kind of like Ahmad Dixon. I think he's a better tackler than he is a coverage guy. And so I'm actually really encouraged by both of those moves. And I thought that was interesting that four of those five guys that I said need to step up this year earned single digits. And then those two guys in particular have moved positions in order to better utilize their skills, or so we hope. Anyway, just wanted to update you on that since I did record that segment last week and uh, hope that uh, you enjoyed it very much. 
That's all we've got for episode one, season three of Please Bear With Me. Thank you so much for listening. I know it was a bit of a longer one, but we had a lot to cram into one preseason episode. Next week, we'll be back with another guest getting ready for Baylor's second game. We'll recap the SFA game. And I I can't believe it, Martin. College football season is upon us. Finally, it's here. It's time. This is the best time of year. And you're listening to this because you're a college football fan. I'm doing this because I'm a college football fan. And I cannot tell you the feeling in my gut right now as we're getting ready for college football. So thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week. Check out Bears Illustrated. Keep listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you haven't. I'll talk to you next time. Have a great time as SFA comes to Waco. This has been Please Bear With Me. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Martin Thomas for producing the podcast this season. I'm your host, Scotty Swingler. All the music you've heard today was from Iron Kids. Check them out at Iron Kids Music. See you next time.